Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Forever, God is faithful. Does that mean right now this morning? You guys out there, forever God is faithful. Does that mean right now? Is he going to be faithful to speak to you today from his word? He will. So we want to be open to that. I want to start today saying that the church matters. The church really matters. And by church, I don't mean this building or some big organization. By the church, I mean God's people getting together as God's people to glorify the Lord by doing those things which he's told us to do. And the church, like that, us, churches like us, really, really matter. Because you see, the church is God's plan to reach the world. He didn't entrust the the gospel to some institution. He entrusted it to us. And he gave the commission to us to go. This commission, right? Go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize and then teach them to observe all the commands I have given you. The church, that's, that's for us. The church matters, because if, if the church doesn't do that, that doesn't happen. Not only is the church God's plan, but the church is God's presence in the world. Now, we know our doctrine, most of us, that God, we would say, is present everywhere, right? All the time. He is everywhere present, and that is true. But there is a sense in which He indwells us. He lives inside of me because I've received Christ as Savior. If you receive Christ as Savior, He lives within you. We are His presence in the world. And then He tells us that when we come together, two or three of us get together or more for His purposes to accomplish the things, that He's present in some unique way, a greater way. And so we are the presence of God in the world. The church really, really matters. Now, We're experiencing in our day and time here where it seems as if for a lot of Christians, church doesn't matter that much anymore. And it's not that they don't like church, they like it fine, and but it's sort of like a luxury that you, you know, it's like going out to eat, you go out sometimes, and church is kind of like that for a lot of people, right? Well, let's go to church this weekend. And it isn't just about showing up at a service. It's about actually being engaged with the body of Christ and being part of the church and living it out. And, and so there's this sense in which it's just not that important. It's something I can do if I can find the time, if I can get to it. But I want to say to you that the church matters more than that. The Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for the church, didn't he? Right? And so the church really really matters. It's important to God, and it needs to be important to us. And so we're starting a a series today 
uh, from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is one of three letters that the Apostle Paul wrote that are called pastoral letters because he was writing to Timothy and to Titus who were both holding down pastoral kind of positions and responsibilities in churches. And so Paul was writing to them about a couple of, couple of big issues. One is sound doctrine, really encouraging them, challenging them to make sure that their doctrine was right. And then sound discipline and order in the church. How is the church to work? What's some practical things about order in the church? How is that supposed to, to happen? So he's writing about these things, and then he talks about personal things along the way. Well, we're going to be in First Timothy today. The Apostle Paul left, left Ephesus and, and went on to do some more missionary work, but he was really concerned about Ephesus, and so he left Timothy there. And Timothy was a very special person to Paul. He was a young man who Paul had met on one of his earlier missionary journeys and found him to love God, to love Christ, and to have a desire to serve. And so Paul took him along with him, and, and, and now he's giving him the responsibility of overseeing the church in Ephesus and addressing these issues that are there. And so today, as we focus in on chapter 1, and we won't be able to look at all of chapter 1. We'll read it all, but we won't be able to look at it all. But we're going to see that purpose matters. Okay, church matters. And by the way, that, that that's, it goes two directions. Church matters, the way I've been talking about it. But also we're going to look at matters in the church. Church matters, church issues. So let's take our Bibles now and turn to 1 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible under the chairs there. And we're going to start on page 1361. 1,361. You know... The church is not perfect, and you know how I know that, don't you? Because I'm a part of it, and you're a part of it. So the church is not perfect, but it's important. And so God has some important things for us to understand about it. So let's start reading. Well, let's just read the whole chapter here, and then we'll go back and focus in on just three verses this morning. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. But we need hope, don't we? The Lord Jesus Christ our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. 
Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, that means a a violently angry, arrogant man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And as you understand, Paul is not trying to make a statement here and say that he's the worst of all sinners ever. He said this is a saying that people people can say, and it's a good saying. It's a faithful saying that every one of us could say what? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief, I'm the worst. We could all have that sense. He says, however, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And then he just comes to a point of praise and says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. All right, so this is serious. He said, Paul, so Paul says, this is like going to war, Timothy. You got to go to war. Go do this that I'm telling you to do. And then he talks about having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So something very specific there, specific individuals that the Apostle Paul, using his apostolic authority, had to address and deal with. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is perfect, that you speak to every issue we need to know about in order to live lives that are pleasing to you, lives that uh, are a blessing to us, I pray, Father, again, that you would stir our hearts and minds, that we would be open to you, ready to hear, ready to respond as we consider what your word has to say to us today. Be glorified in in our response to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's go back to verse 3, 3 and 4. See, Apostle Paul here, remember he said to Timothy, this is like going to what? Going to... War, okay? This is serious business. I got some serious things for you to take uh, uh, responsibility for and work at. So in verse 3, again, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge them that they teach no other doctrine. This is a big enough deal that Paul left Timothy there. He says, you've got to deal with this. And then he says, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes. Rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So he's dealing with another issue related to the teaching of the word. Wrong doctrine, or as he actually says here, other doctrine. Doctrine that really isn't Christian. Doctrine that isn't coming from the word of God. And then in verse 4, this idea of this, the wrong focus. Okay? Fables, endless genealogies, all sorts of arguments. I'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. Wrong or other doctrine, wrong focus. Why such a big deal? Really, why such a big deal? Well, first thing I see is this, that, that right doctrine matters. 
right doctrine really matters. Because what you believe about something affects everything in your life that's connected to that. All right? What you believe, just it's not just some thing on a piece of paper. What you really believe in your heart and mind affects everything else in your life. Sometimes we don't see that in our own lives. Sometimes we can see it in other people's lives easier. But let's just give an example. Let's talk about, are you valuable as a human being? Are you valuable? Do you always feel valuable? How do you know that you're valuable? You see, what you believe about this is going to affect so much in your life. And and what we're telling our, our young people today in this culture is that you need to have higher self-esteem. You need to think more highly of yourself. I mean, I get why they're doing that, right? You shouldn't be devaluing yourself. But the problem is they don't have any beliefs to support that. Because how, how do I know that I am valuable? Am I valuable because you think I'm valuable? Boy, that's risky, isn't it? If I need you to think I'm valuable for me to feel valuable, I'm going to make some really bad choices in our relationship. You know? If, if I need whatever, I need all these things to try to somehow or other make myself feel okay, make myself feel valuable. And, and because what's my basic belief? My basic belief is I don't know where I came from. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know why I'm here. I'm, they tell me I'm an accident, an evolutionary accident. I, there's no set right. I mean, how in the world do I determine my value from that belief point? I don't. And, and what we see is people run around all the time either craving other people to make them feel valuable or trying to make other people feel they're valuable. Well, so what we believe about this really matters. And we step back and say, well, what does God say about it? Does God say that I'm valuable? Well, he says I'm made in his image. I'm made in his image for an eternal purpose. In fact, I know I made his image. I'm made in very specific ways that he knew and oversaw because he has plans and purposes for me that only I can fill. Only you can fill. Unique to us. This is what God says. All right. And then he shows the value that even though we messed up, we blew it. He did what? He sent his son to die for us, right? To provide us forgiveness, eternal life, that we might be with him, that we might become, we grow to be like him, we can become more like him. You see how, how what you believe starts to affect? Now, now when I go into life, out into life, you know, I, I hate to say this. I like other people to think I'm important. You guys are looking at me like you're worried about me now. <laughs> Does anybody besides me like other people to think you're valuable? Sure I do. But you know what? And not that it would never, I never struggle with that, but the reality is that, you know what? If you don't think I'm valuable, well, that's because you have a defective perception of me. Because the one who knows me better than anybody else, he knows all the things about me that nobody else knows, has determined that I'm valuable. See that it begins to affect you. Now, now you're free to go and live your life and do the things that you need to do, whether other people like it or not. 
Well, you would like to have that affirmation. You don't need that affirmation. because So what you're believing, see, this right doctrine really matters. So let's, let's go a little farther down this line. And I've talked, I've used this example before, but I know some of you haven't been here and heard it. I know those of you watching may not have heard it. Uh, I have a, a 19, no, two, no, 2006 Audi A4, 2.0, turbo, quattro. I like my car. It's a lot of fun. Uh, 180,000 plus miles on it. So I went on Kelly Blue Book to find out how much this thing's worth. It's got to be worth a lot of money because I love it. I might be able to sell it for $4,000 if I just held on long enough. <laughs> might. Okay? So that's the reality. But what if I pull into a parking lot out here someplace, and I get out of a car, and this guy comes running across the parking lot and says, what car is this? And he looks at it, and, and he's excited about it, and he asks me all sorts of questions and talks to me about it, and he gets up, and he, he looks on his phone, and he looks at the VIN number, and he's all this kind of stuff, and he finally says, Man, he said, I've wanted this car my whole life. In fact, here's the deal. I, would you sell it to me? I'll, I'll give you $250,000 for it. And I'll, I'll go to the bank this afternoon and get a bank check and get it to you today. I'm going to go, I don't know. Let me think about it. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to say, hey, let's go to the bank right now. Right? How much, at that point, how much is my car worth? Is it worth $4,000? Or is it worth $250,000? It's worth $250,000. How do we know that? Because that's what somebody's willing to pay for it. So you determine the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. What did God pay for you? That chokes me up. It's only son and everything that he did. See, that's how I said, you see, that changes you, doesn't it? That changes how you can get up and go out of here today. That changes how you go face those things we prayed about earlier. It changes all that stuff because what you believe affects everything in your life that it touches. So right doctrine matters. That's why it's a big deal. Okay? It's a big deal. Now, that's what he says here. He says this idea that they teach no other doctrine. Okay, they're teaching other doctrine. And then in verse 4 again, he's talking about fables and endless genealogies which cause problems. So I call this a right focus. Right focus matters when it comes to the Word of God and the things that we believe. Um. Because these things that Paul is talking about here aren't necessarily, he isn't saying whether they're right or wrong. He said they just aren't what we need. They, they cause problems. They don't help us be edified, you know, become godly and strong. Um, let's give you an example. If, if a preacher stands up every week and opens the word and, and talks about the word and all of his applications are political, right? In other words, you take this word and by the way, does the scripture apply to politics? You're saying, I don't think so based on what I see. That's not, yes, in other words, the truths of scripture are true for politics as well as anything. But the idea is, if every application, if I get up here and talk, and it was about something political, about something going on in the news of politics, and some politician or position, all, if that's all I did, what would the people who attend here and those who watch online start to believe is really important? That politics must be the most important thing. 
right? Because that's, so this wrong emphasis, wrong focus can create problems. So right focus really matters. Um, another example is that there are uh, churches, and I've, I've heard them over the years, pastor preachers, who, who everything is always about, I don't know quite how to say it. It's like we read these verses today and they say, well, here's what it says, but let me tell you, here's the real deeper meaning. It's kind of a hidden meaning here. And, and, you know, every week in the scriptures, I say, well, yes, it says this, but here's this deeper meaning or this hidden meaning. Now, do you suppose the word of God has some deep things in it? Sure it does. But the problem is, if, if our focus is so much on these hidden things, these deep meanings of God, that we never pay attention to just what it says, that wrong focus is going to cause problems. That's what Paul says. These things cause problems. I knew a man years ago, uh, another part of the country, a friend of mine, and he was in one of these churches where, yes, yes, it says this, and that's good, but here's, you know, here's how we're going to connect, and this scripture, and that scripture, and this scripture, and this, finally, here's this meaning. You know, a lot of symbol, symbolic meaning, all that kind of stuff. And, but he was talking to me about he was struggling in his marriage. Okay, and we talked about that, and I recommend that, and I pointed him to Proverbs 31 because of particular issues going on in their lives. Pointed him to Proverbs 31 and told him to you know, read that and let's talk again. So we did. We called again. I said, so what did, what did, you, get, what did you get there? And he says, well, you know, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm having kind of a hard time with this because I, I know that the woman here in Proverbs 31 either represents Eve or the church, and I'm not sure which it is. And, and so then the husband either represents Adam or Christ, and, and I'm trying to figure this all, you know, he's trying, I said, well, wait a minute. Let's just look at this. Let's read it. It says, praise her for her good works. Well, he couldn't get his head around that because the Bible wasn't really about that. You see what I mean? It was the wrong focus, and, and that can happen to people. So right focus really, really matters. Both of these things, right doctrine matters, a right Focus matters. And so this is why Apostle Paul had Timothy stay there. Now, how do we know? How do we know if we have a right focus? And it's not just me. I mean, as a preacher, I have to think about these things. As a church, we need to think about what are we hearing from our preachers and our teachers. We need to have that. But it's bigger than that. It's about in your own life. As you look at the scriptures, as you look at your life, you know, do you have, are, are you really building your life on right doctrine? the right beliefs? Are you really focusing in on the things that are the most important? Well, how would you know? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us two tests here in this passage so we can make that evaluation. And the first one is right here in verse 4. He says, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Cause disputes. And, and he's talking about thinking of something specific here, but that's why they cause trouble. <laughs> when you don't have the right doctrine and you have the wrong focus, it causes trouble in your life. Now, well, let's, I'll, I'll come back to that. So what is the test? Right here it is, the last phrase. 
The test of whether or not we have right doctrine, right focus, is, is godly edification, which is in faith. Edification meaning building up, strengthening. In the faith, in a manner that's consistent with what the Bible teaches about being a Christian and how to live like a Christian, how to think like a Christian. Building us up in that, strengthening us in that. So that is the first test. And so here, point number one, right doctrine with the right focus will always build and strengthen us in living out our faith. It will. You know, every time we look at the word and, and, See, what does it say? And we really, you know, get a hold of what it says. And uh, then we say, what does that mean in our lives? How do we live that out? And, and we look at that, and then we, we believe it, and then we make choices accordingly, right? We, here's what it says about how to interact with my kids. Okay, so now I try that, and I may succeed, I may fail, I may need to adjust, but I'm trying it. And it, God is working. It's in my marriage, it's at work, it's with my money, it's with whatever that's going on. All right, it's always going to build us up and strengthen us to live the life that God has called us to. Now, it's interesting because Apostle Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus. Um, but about five years earlier, Paul had called a meeting of the pastors in Ephesus and called them together and talked to them. Said, here's things that are important. Here's things I want you to pay attention to. And as he's, he's kind of coming to the end of that conversation and summarizing, he says, he says this. He says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Okay? He's going with God. Go with what he said, which is able to what? What's it say? Build you up. Able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Among all those who are sanctified, give you an inheritance. You're going to receive things from God because you're his child. As you understand the things of God and act on them, builds you up, strengthens you. You're going to receive benefit as a child of God in that. And so when we've got the right doctrine, the right focus, we are built up. Okay, We are built up. Uh, Romans 14 says this, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. This, this verse fits so well here, because what did Paul say in the middle of verse number four? What do these fables and endless genealogies and the wrong focus cause? What, let's look. What's it say? Which cause? This is in your Bible. Okay, this is in your Bible, verse number four of chapter one, first Timothy. That's right. Don't give heed these which cause disputes. Right? And so what's Apostle Paul say here in his letter to the Romans? He says, pursue the things which make for peace, not disputes. Not stuff we're going to argue and fight over because we can't ever come to an answer about. Don't focus on that. Instead, focus on the things where we can build each other up, strengthen each other. All right? So, so pretty clear there. Right doctrine with the right focus will always build and strengthen us in living out our faith. And here's... Here's the next one, the, the next test that he gives us. It's found in verse number five. Fifth, let's read it. He says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And he goes on and talks about how some people are trying to preach the, the, all the laws and commandments of God, and they're missing the point with them. They're, they're using them the wrong way. He said, I want you to know what the purpose is. The purpose is 
What's the word? What's that? It's not a trick question. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love. All right. So the second test is this, that right doctrine with the right focus will always, always, always lead us to love. The purpose of the commandment, that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Now, and by commandment, I think here, I mean, we certainly have the Old Testament law, we have the Ten Commandments, uh, apply to that, but then we have all the other laws, the moral laws that are built out from there. And I would say to you that I think we can go with anything that the Scripture tells us to do, tells us not to do, tells us to believe, tells us not to believe, anything. So the Word of God, the purpose of the command, the purpose of the Word, anything that it tells us is love. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. By this point in time, we've looked at this passage of Scripture many times. Remember, the, the religious leaders were trying to catch Jesus in something they could accuse him of and, and you know, bring him down. And so they asked him a question, what's the greatest commandment? Which is the most important command? Because they figured whatever he said, they could have an argument against it and try to catch him in something. So remember the response? You shall love the Lord your God. This comes from Deuteronomy, that does. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think that comes from Leviticus. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So these two commandments, the two greatest commandments are about what? Love. And he says, this idea of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, he says, we can take every other commandment in the word and hang it on that. Oh, have no other gods before me. Okay, we're going to hang that one on love God. Right? Don't steal. Oh, we're going to hang that one on love your neighbor as yourself. See, we can hang every commandment on them. And so Paul, it shouldn't surprise me when he says, Paul says, the purpose of the commandment is love. And what we find is all of these commands are really, if we, if we sit back and think about it, especially as Christians, and we step back and look at it this way, we go, Okay, I see it. It's not really about don't do that. It's not really about don't do that. What it's really about is, you know what? That is unloving. That hurts other people. It hurts you. It hurts maybe it comes between you and God. Don't, that's, that's unloved. You see what I'm saying? We can start to see how all of those things are that way. So let's, let's look in um, Romans 13. It's up here on the screen. But a passage Paul says, he says, Oh, no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another, don't go yet, John. He who loves another has done what? Fulfilled the law. See, the purpose of the commandment is what? Love. And when you love others, you are fulfilling the law. Why? Because this is the loving way to live. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with that or not? I mean, how do you think it is? it would be loving to murder your neighbor? I hope nobody raises their hand, right? <laughs> we know it isn't, right? So that's the idea. We're saying it's not a loving thing to do. Jesus expanded that. It's not a loving thing to do either to hate your neighbor. Okay? All right, so it's fulfilled the law. Let's continue. 
He says, for the commandments, and he just lists some of them here. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's what Jesus said. Okay? So let's go to the next rest of this. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so when we are looking at the word of God properly, it will always lead us to love. Loving God. Loving others. In fact, when we have our uh, talk with new believers and, and we have um, a discipleship, I, don't know, I hate to use the word program, but a discipleship course that we take people through and talk with them about the Christian life, one of the things that we, we talk about is that, and, uh, is that this is a big book, isn't it? They say a lot of things. Some easy to understand, some hard to understand. There's so much in here. You know, about how to live, principles, godliness, all that kind of stuff. And if somebody has to learn all of this before they can finally start living for the Lord, ain't going to happen, is it? Couldn't happen for me yet either. So what we tell them is this. Yeah, okay, here's the deal. Now, yes, there's a lot to learn. You're going to learn more. You're going to learn principles. You're going to learn things that God says are good and not so good, things you should do, things you should all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, along the way, when you have a decision to make, ask yourself the question, what would be the loving thing to do? And you know what? Almost all the time, they get it right. Right? Sometimes they don't. God won't work on that. But see, this is what Paul says. The purpose of, of the commandment is love. And when we read it. We're not going to go back and look at it again. But he says, you know what? You need all these rules for people who don't want to obey them. That's what you need those rules for. And when you've been saved and God has changed your heart and, and you're learning to love him and love your neighbors, you don't. Those things aren't a problem. I don't want to steal from you because I love you. <laughs> you know, I, are you guys following along? Do you feel like? If you aren't, that's okay. I'm quite capable of confusing any of you. Right. So love doesn't, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Now Jesus ratcheted this up a little bit for us as Christians. You know, for every human being has a responsibility to love God and love their neighbors themselves. And we're human beings, so we have the responsibility. But Jesus ratcheted it up. Do you remember? In John chapter 13, when he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. The way Jesus loved us. That goes beyond love your neighbors yourself. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So do you understand that last statement? This is how someone could look at you and say, wow, I think he's really a Christian. I think she's really a Christian. How do you know? What makes you say that? And they may not have the right words, but you know, it's just, he's good. He's, he's loving. She's, she's, she loves people. She cares about people. Something about her, him, right? This person's a real Christian. So that tells me that how you and I look at the Word, how I preach it and teach it to you, how you look at the Word yourself, 
you have the right doctrine, right focus, it's going to lead you to love, which is going to lead you to live in such a way that people can look at you and say, he's a Christian, she's a Christian. Does this matter? It really, really matters. And so today's sermon is titled, The Purpose Matters. And so he says here, the purpose of the commandment is love. So let's just look at a couple of the Bible. So the um, review, right doctrine with the right focus will always build and strengthen us in living out our faith. And the second test, that right doctrine with the right focus will always, always, always lead us to love. Well, what kind of love? Well, let's look here. He tells us, verse 5. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love and three things, from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Let's see if we can wrestle these down here a little bit, okay? First one is this. The idea is that the kind of love we're talking about is a love that flows out of a personal relationship with the Lord, and I say it because of pure heart. Now, we might think it means something else, but very literally, if we could translate this pure heart, we could very literally translate it as from a clean middle. Now, that cleared everything right up for you, didn't it? No, but a clean middle, the, the very middle part of your being needs to be clean to love like this. Well, you weren't born with a clean middle, and you made lots of decisions in life that were not coming from a clean middle. What needed to happen? You needed to receive Christ as Savior, didn't you? You need to realize that I have sinned against the Holy God. This deep, the middle part of me is not clean. And I have lived that out into my life. And so we come to the Lord and say, I am not clean. My, my middle is not clean. My heart is not pure. I am sinner before you. And if, if I die in this condition, I'm going to be condemned forever in hell. And then we believe what God says in his word, that, that he sent his only. Remember we talked about being valuable? He loved you and sent his son into the world, lived that perfect sinless life, dies on the cross. And as he hangs on the cross, God puts the penalty for my sin and your sin. Sends the whole world on him. He dies paying the penalty for that sin, rises three days later, and God says to us that if we will be honest with ourselves and Him, that we have sinned against Him, that we have an unclean middle, that He, when we receive Christ as Savior, He forgives every sin. We receive eternal life, and then He moves in to the middle. What happens to your middle? It is now clean. Where God is with you is perfectly clean. Okay? And so you have a pure heart. And that's where this love needs to come from. And God has enabled us to do this. In Romans chapter 5, it says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit did what? God, the Holy Spirit comes in. Pure heart fills us with his love. It's there. It can come from this. But so there has to be this relationship with God. And if the relationship with God is there, Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, the first one on the list is love. Okay? So God is enabling us to love. It starts with that personal relationship with the Lord. Okay? Then he says, um, from a good conscience, 
a good conscience. And we, we know what our conscience is, right? Our conscience tells us, that's not a good thing. Okay, yeah, I shouldn't do that. I'm gonna, it helps us to, to think about this stuff. It, it, you know, it kind of confronts us. Or this is good. Do this. And so we have this conscience. By the way, our conscience is informed by our beliefs and the things that we know and the things we've experienced in life. So it's really important that we're making good choices and taking in the word and shaping our thinking so that our conscience really is more and more accurate. Right? But so this idea of a good conscience. Uh, so this not only is it about a personal relationship, but it's love that's unleashed by a good conscience. And I say unleashed for this reason. Um, because sinful living gets in the way of godly loving. When you are sinning, you are being selfish. True. Because we're doing what we want, the way we want, when we want, whatever, right? It's about us. And maybe we're not trying to be bad, but that's the wrestling match that's going on there. And I tell you what, when you are in sin and trying to rationalize and justify it, you are not free to think about loving other people. You will act in unloving ways when you are living in sin. So you need your conscience. Your conscience works two ways. I'll show you. But this first one is this, that this idea of sinful living gets in the way of godly loving. Proverbs 5 says that an evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. And so when you're involved with sin, it's like you're getting all tied up here. You are not free to love. Does you get that right? Because I'm kind of all self-centered here, focused. So a good conscience, when we follow, the, we've got a good conscience. That's I'm not doing that. I'm making different decisions. Okay? And, and, but it goes another way, too. And that's it in our in our culture, and it's probably always been, you know, we talk about our culture, but there's a tendency to view love as doing whatever it takes to make somebody feel happy. Right? If you love your kids, you'll do them what? Everything that they want. You'll let them do what they want. You'll take them wherever. You won't hold them accountable because that would be unloving. I mean... <laughs> Now, don't take that as a sound bite, please, and put it out there. It's not loving. The idea is that uh, we need to make a good, maintain a good conscience when it comes to how we love, how I'm loving somebody. Because uh, here's another, another statement. Godly love, the kind of love that God calls us to, godly love is about always acting in the best interest of the other person, even if it's hard for them and costly for you. That's how God loved us, isn't it? The gospel is a hard message. You have sinned against the holy God. Your sins will condemn you to hell. You cannot fix this on your own. Those are hard messages for people to hear, isn't it? But it's what they need to hear. And so love does what? Love tells them what they need to hear. And it, was it costly for the Lord to love us this way? Absolutely. And I would say to you that sometimes saying no to your child about something, it's hard for them. Okay? And it may be costly to you because you're going to have to fight this stupid battle for the next 12 months. But because you love your child, you what? 
See if it's that kind of love. And so we got to make a, maintain a good conscience when we're loving that we, we love on the basis of truth. We really do act in the best interest of these other people that we're loving. Okay, so that's important. In other words, how we love is going to line up with the word, isn't it? With right doctrine and a right focus. Okay? All right? So love that flows out of a personal relationship with the Lord, love that's unleashed by a good conscience, and then love that's an expression of genuine Christianity. He says a sincere faith. Very literally, we translate the, the words that are there, we could translate it as love without hypocrisy. It's like, it's just two words. Love no hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the bane of Christianity, isn't it? Because what's one of the things? I don't believe that Christianity stuff. Why? Because there are so many hypocrites. Jesus challenged that in his day with the religious leaders and called them, you, you hypocrites. One of the worst things you could call somebody is a, you want to make somebody mad? Call them a hypocrite, right? Because yeah, we just have this built in, that is bad, that is wrong. And so he says that, our faith, our lives as Christians, how we live, live our lives ought to be without hypocrisy. Does that mean we're perfect? You got to be perfect? Forget that one. But you got to be real. You got to be sincere. And when stuff shows up in your life, and you can, you can deal with it. Humility. But this idea, and it's an expression of genuine Christianity. Because I, I just... We are so crazy sometimes as human beings, the garbage that we have brought along with us and, and what shows up in Christianity. I do not understand logically how we can say we are Christians, we believe the word, and then be judgmental in our attitudes and our spirit. How can that, how can we be that? I mean, we want to speak the truth in love, but you're not talking about the difference, the harshness, judgmental, that attitude. Okay, so we need to, to, this love needs to be an expression of genuine Christianity. There can be no fake about it. You can't. It's not about acting a certain way on the outside, right? You get it? This is real Christianity coming out of you. That's what we're talking about. Paul described it. There's no self-seeking. There's no ulterior motives. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy Love does not parade itself. It's nothing outside there. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. No self-seeking. No ulterior motives. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. You believe the best about people. Go on. It does not rejoice in iniquity. Ha. Huh. Yeah, well, I'll just, I'll go on. But rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of love that needs to come out of you. And I think that's something we got to work on. We keep working on. We're sincere. We're really trying to love this way. Okay? So Paul says the purpose of the commandment is love that flows out of a personal relationship with the Lord that's unleashed by a good conscience and that's an expression of genuine Christianity. That's the purpose. That's why all those things are in the Word. Purpose matters. All right, I'm going to ask the band to come on back up here. We're going to sing one more time. And as they come, let's, let's bow our heads and Turn our hearts and minds here, if we haven't already, but very much focused to the Lord. Lord, thank you for your word and that you speak to us from it.
Thank you that we are the recipients of this love that you describe here from you. And Father, very often from people around us, your, your people, thank you for that. I pray, Father, we take it to heart and that we would get serious about being in your word, knowing your word, that we might have right doctrine and beliefs that will affect everything in, in the good and positive ways that will produce love in us. Help us to see what we need to do. Father, I do pray if anyone's here and they have not yet received your son as Savior, that even right now in their hearts, they would just say, oh God, that, that what he talked about, that's for me. I, I believe that. I accept that. And I pray they'd connect with us, Father, so we can help them to understand. We want to honor and glory you now, Lord, with our response. We want to lift our hearts in praise to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.